0: Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a video podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Eric Marcoux and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to Episode 21, Know Your Heart's Rhythm. This is the first part of an interview with Dr. Ann Taylor. She explains how high-functioning anxiety and chronic stress is common, but it doesn't have to be the norm. And provides seven ways to calm your nervous system and balance your heart's rhythm.
1: When we look at society and culture and the breakneck speed that we're going through, and the diseases, you know, including anxiety, that come along with it, you know, it's important to step back and realize. This may be the social norm, but it is not normal. It's anything but normal. Anne received her PhD in
0: mythological studies with an emphasis in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. And her Bachelor of Science degree is in medical technology. She's written a book called Seven Ancient Rituals to Heal Modern High-Functioning Anxiety. Listen as Ann and I dive into how to restore your nervous system by calming your heart's rhythm. First of all, Ann, I want to thank you so much for approaching me and for this opportunity to get to know you better and
1: to be able to share your work with our listeners. I appreciate it. And thank you, Erica, for having me on. I so look forward to our conversation as I've really enjoyed listening to your previous podcasts.
0: Oh, thank you. The first thing that I'd like to go over is that early on in your career, you would work the EKGs, which is recording the electrical signal from patients' hearts. And what did you learn from that process?
1: You know, Erica, that was a very interesting time in my career. And I was still actually a teenager, a very impressionable years of maybe 18 or 19 years old where between college semesters, I would work at the local hospital taking EKGs. And part of that was routine for people who had heart attacks and monitoring their progress. But fairly often, there'd be an emergency call where a patient crashed and was having a very irregular heartbeat, going into congestive heart failure or heart failure of some kind. And I'd be part of the crash team that would wheel the cart in, put the electrodes on the patient while we all stood back and the clinicians would use the defibrillator once the heart actually stopped. And we'd be watching the heartbeat go from chaotic activity often into flatline, which is no heart electricity at all, no heartbeat at all. And... It was a very interesting experience in that some patients would just drift off and pass on. No matter what the doctors did, they weren't able to resuscitate the patient. However, using the same techniques and procedures on all the patients, some patients heart rhythms would spontaneously start again, as you would see little blips on the monitor. And it was very exciting, and and there was just such an elation because, you know, somebody's coming back to life. I saw this again and again and again, and it really made an impression on me because it seemed to me as if the heart had a mind of its own. The clinicians were doing the same techniques on everyone. The patients were in the same condition, flatline, and yet some came back and some didn't. That set a seed deep in my psyche. The heart has a mind of its own. That was a tremendous lesson for me to learn.
0: That's wonderful. And you've applied some of your findings to being able to help people with anxiety. Anxiety disorder is the most common mental illness in the U.S. affecting 40 million adults, which is about 18% of the population every year. And what you've identified is a high functioning anxiety group. What
1: is that? Well, high functioning anxiety is not, at least not yet considered a clinical condition. It doesn't meet the standards for like the more generalized anxieties, a high functioning anxiety. Most people on the outside have no idea how much the person is suffering inside. They go to work. They're often overachievers. They are running on adrenaline, though, and behind this facade of I've got it all together, I've got life in order, outperforming people at work, when they get home, often there's a crash. They either are so exhausted they just wind up going to sleep, numbing themselves. To self-soothe and calm themselves either by alcohol, having a couple drinks, a couple glasses of wine when you come home. That seems to be an accepted norm or overeating, comfort food. And yet, you know, there's really a problem of anxiety underneath it all that's, you know, tied to, to chronic stress. And, um, you know, again, from the outside, everything looks just fine.
0: Well, and you've mentioned it's almost like people are hiding behind a mask. And that is the mask. And I think that that's our societal norm in the U.S. It's just everything's fine. There's nothing going on. We're not really going to share what's happening internally and just grin and bear it. But that's not health and that's not mental health.
1: Not at all. And when we... When we look at society and culture and the breakneck speed that we're going through and the diseases, you know, including anxiety, that come along with it, you know, it's important to step back and realize this may be the social norm, but it is not normal. It's anything but normal.
0: And so when we compare the culture now and appropriately label it as not normal, What is normal? I wonder if we even have that as an example or a baseline
1: anymore. Well, I don't really think we do. It's the breakneck speed of society. And I think that we can take examples from the past, which we'll get into a little bit later in the discussion. Yeah, we don't have a lot of good role models right now for it.
0: Well, you've developed a way to help people empower themselves we can't rely on other people to understand what's going on with us or to quote-unquote fix us. Empowerment needs to come from within and learning more about how our brains and nervous systems work. What skills and techniques do you use in, for yourself and help others with as well?
1: I use a variety of techniques. And really the first one is simply awareness of the condition of what's going on with you and really to understand there's nothing wrong with you and it's really not your fault. We're all products of society. I just want to pause there,
0: Anne, because I think that's so important. Basically, that there's nothing inherently wrong with us. It's not our fault. We are doing the best that we can to adapt to a fast-paced society.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. A lot of people are not even aware that they are having high-functioning anxiety. The clients and even friends or family members, it's like they just think, what's wrong with me? I can't quite keep up with everybody else. Once you realize I'm okay and I need to just step back and realize if there's one thing I can really get across To my clients and your listeners is that everybody inherently has the power within their own being to self empower, to self regulate and to do tremendous amounts of self healing. And now I'm not suggesting in any way that this is instead of whatever they're doing with their physicians that please. Continue what you're doing. This is an integrative approach. It's about layering on these techniques, which are very simple and easy to do, onto whatever else you're already doing.
0: And I'd like to underline that for any listener, any individual out there, use anything that you can to help. It doesn't have to be one or the other. For example, there's this concept out there, either you use medication or you use meditation. An individual may need both. It's just finding out what works for the individual because we're all so unique and doing the best that we can to stay self-regulated and healthy.
1: Absolutely. And it's very individual. What works for one person may not work for another. Get curious, what is working for you? If you add something on, does it help or not? And a little bit later, we'll actually talk about how you can measure some of these techniques and their effectiveness. You have written a book that has
0: recently come out. It's The Seven Ancient Rituals. And in that, you explore ancient rituals. How is that helpful for us to know today in the modern world?
1: This is a topic that is so close to my heart. Uh, Something that Joseph Campbell said. Great. He was an American mythologist for listeners who may not be familiar with him. And he was very instrumental in working on the Star Wars movie. In the early days, worked with George Lucas to talk about the archetypal significance of the characters. And so one thing that he said was, and I quote, The goal of life is to make your heartbeat match the beat of the universe, to make your nature match nature. As you read that, I get chills up and down my body. It's powerful. It's powerful, and this is really just the crux of how the ritual process works. Rituals, it's of course a whole study upon itself, but one of the main purposes of rituals is to get the person in alignment or in accord with nature and the higher order. Well, now what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, the heart is at the center of the stress response and the anxiety response, stress and anxiety being two sides of the same coin. And the heart is the strongest field within the human body, and sends more information to the brain than the brain does to the heart. So with 40,000 or so sensory neurons, the heart has its own heart brain. Now this work goes back decades.
0: I think most people wouldn't automatically think that. We tend to think that the brain is the control center for everything. But what you're saying is, in fact, that the heart is sending a tremendous amount of information to the brain.
1: That's right. And now thinking back to my early EKG technician days, looking at the electrical activity on the graph, if you compare that to a brain graph, you can see the heart's electrical activity is substantially stronger. It puts out more voltage. Wow. I didn't know that. And so what, it, yeah, it's an electromagnetic field. So the heart's electromagnetic field can extend out eight feet from the body or more. Whereas the brain, the, it just simply doesn't generate the same level of voltage. When the heart is in a healthy rhythm, it puts out a nice harmonious field. And when it's not, it puts out chaos. Is it either or? There are degrees. Okay. It's not an on-off switch. There's levels of what science calls heart coherence and it's the heart rhythm. Going back to the ancient rituals, I find that they have ways of explaining these things. You just don't need to know a lick about science to be able to understand. For example, if you use the term right order to be in accord with nature, that would be terminology relating to ancient rituals. So that's what we're talking about, is getting the heart into right order. It's more about attuning to, resonating with, because nature in and of itself has higher fields electromagnetically than the heart. It follows a sequence. Essentially the flow state or heart coherence is an alignment or a resonance between a person's heart, that electromagnetic field we were just talking about, and the higher vibrational fields of the earth and the sun. Of course, most people understand that the Earth has a north pole and a south pole. There's a magnetic field around the Earth. If you're out sailing in a boat, you want to have your compass so you can attune so that your boat can go in accord with the magnetic direction. Well, it's the same thing with the heart. Really, we want to get our heart's compass, the magnetic field, pointing and aligning with the Earth's magnetic field. In Western terms, it's called heart coherence. That term was coined by the HeartMath Institute. So they define the term coherence, quote, coherence is the state when the heart, mind, emotions are in energetic alignment and cooperation, end quote. The thing that's so interesting is that fear, worry, overwhelm the things that we tend to associate with anxiety, they take us out of alignment. They literally change our electromagnetic field of the heart from a nice coherent state into chaos.
0: So this is even where I get hung up within my own experience of life. That very human experience of being in fear and worry It just happens. It doesn't mean that it's bad or wrong, but that, I guess, incoherence with the natural state can happen. It's just our ability to be aware is what I'm understanding from what you're saying. And then being able to have, hopefully, the techniques to bring ourselves back into coherence.
1: Absolutely. And this all comes down to the nervous system. The nervous system's job is to keep us alive. It's constantly surveilling for dangers. This is unconscious process. So when something happens in the outside world, and in this case, just think about you're feeling overwhelmed. There's too much to do. Your nervous system is interpreting that, you know, Houston, we've got a problem here. <laughs> Whether the, the threat is real like you're in a near-miss car accident, or if it's imagined, you can't pay your bill this month. The body is going to respond the same way as far as you know the fear, what's going to happen. While that is a natural thing, here I go back to the original point. We all have the power to learn how to self-regulate that. We can't stop those stressors from coming in.
0: And we can't necessarily change forever our reaction to it because it's it's a human biological reaction when we go into fear there's a danger and that's going to change the nervous system but again the power lies within our ability to start regulating that again
1: and the first question to ask yourself when you've sensed yourself getting anxious in the moment Am I being threatened right now? Mm-hmm. Let's assume, you know, there's no car coming, you're sitting at your office desk or at home and the anxiety starts to come up. You simply ask yourself, okay, am I in real danger? You start noticing. That's why meditation is so powerful. You notice and come back. Okay, I am not in danger at the moment. And you can bring yourself back into a regulated state by using things such as the breath. I have outlined seven techniques in the book. There are many, many more.
0: let's say that we ask ourselves in the moment, is there an immediate threat? And the answer is no. But if we go back to your example of not being able to pay rent this month, no, there's not anything in my immediate environment. However, that's a stress that we often live with. How are we gonna make our payments? What are we gonna have to do to ensure that we're safe and still can live in our home? How do we deal with those kinds of stressors?
1: That example you gave actually was a reality for me back in the great recession of 2007 through 2008 that I literally almost lost my home. It was financially challenging time to the point I didn't know how I was going to meet my payments. Now, I'm not gonna say I cleared out the worry But when you empower yourself and say, in this moment, I've done what I can do, and come back to your breath. If you just allow the worry to spin out of control, it's called cortical inhibition. You don't make your best decisions when you're in fear. You cannot think clearly, and there's biological reasons for that, including the flow of cortisol. From our ancestors' days, if there was a tiger coming at you, And you were in fear, it's better that the brain did shut off because you don't want to have to think, oh, gee, there's a tiger coming at me. What should I do? No, the brain bypasses that. Zoom, you are running, taking action. Same thing. Okay, I can't pay my mortgage this month. If you stay in fear, you're not going to get the best results. You're not going to get access to your higher thinking capacities because the fear literally dials down your rational response, your prefrontal cortex, you can't think clearly.
0: And when you do have access to your prefrontal cortex, that's where higher level thinking happens and our best problem solving. Exactly. Because I actually had a similar situation and it was in 2009 where we had to do a short sale in our condo in California and moved back home to Austin because of the housing crisis. The best decisions that I made with my husband was actually when we were out of the house and in a park, breathing and just saying, okay, what is happening is happening and it's beyond our control. What is the best possible decision that we can make to get us back on track? And it's those moments that we need. And I believe in my own experience that I have to get centered first before those ways of of solving the problem can even come to mind.
1: That's an excellent example and it's so true. We can control the things that we can control but the rest at some level we have to surrender. And doing it from a calm heart-centered space when it's in a high level of coherence we actually get inputs or intuitions shall I say. uh, Things we may not have thought of before and that's where there's a real beauty to this whole thing too.
0: That's what I call the aha moments, that inspiration that comes in. I want to take a moment to talk about Ann Taylor's book, Seven Ancient Rituals to Heal Modern High-Functioning Anxiety. If you suffer from anxiety and are looking for natural means of healing, then this book is for you. Anyone can benefit from the information gleaned from the ancient wisdom traditions. In the book, Anne breaks down ways to calm your nervous system and balance your heart's rhythm. There's a significance in being aligned with your heart's rhythm, especially when circumstances feel beyond your control. Go to store and receive this book for free. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with Dr. Anne Taylor. The demands of today's world are almost impossible to keep up with. There's simply more coming at us than we can handle. And if you're prone to high functioning anxiety, it can feel like you're on a sinking ship. People who live with this anxiety are still able to function, or so it seems. Behind the mask of being in control are some common symptoms that include elevated heart rate, rapid and shallow breathing, feeling nervous or restless, repetitive thoughts or worry, and a sense of impending doom. Those of you with this level of anxiety are still performing, but at what cost to your mental and physical health? Early in Ann's career, she took EKGs on heart attack patients. An EKG is an electrocardiogram that records the electrical signal from your heart. The electrical signal causes your heart to beat that is shown as waves on a graph. She recognized the significance of a person's heart rhythm in terms of health and well-being. Anxiety disorders is the most common mental illness in the United States. It affects 40 million adults, which is about 18% of the population every year. Anxiety may seem normal, but it's not. The demands of our modern culture are not in sync with our physiology and nervous system. Chronic stress makes us ill. The good news is that when you become aware of the stress, you have the ability to make a change. Everybody inherently has the power to self-regulate and self-heal. The primary key, according to Anne, is heart coherence. Heart coherence is a measure of the pattern in the heart's rhythm. The pattern reflects an orderly and harmonious synchronization with systems in the body like the heart, respiratory system, and blood pressure rhythms. Anne leans on ancient rituals and yoga to bring your heart back into coherence. There's more great resources like these in the show notes. In episode 22, Ann and I introduce a sensor and app for your iPhone and Android. You can easily chart your own heart rhythm.
1: The HeartMath Monitor, and it's simply a clip that you put on your ear that measures your heart rate and creates a graph and it creates an audible tone or a visual tone. So, you know, when you're getting in a state of high coherence, about 150 bucks for the sensor, and you could do Bluetooth, plugs right into the iPhone, your iPad. Until next time, subscribe and rate the show.
0: Also, tune into season one for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marku. Thanks for listening.